I'll add my greetings to Dan's greeting earlier. Good morning. What a joy, brothers and sisters, to be here on the threshold of heaven in the presence of our God, receiving his good word to us yet again, his word of the gospel. Let's turn to Jeremiah for our Old Testament reading. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And our, our New Testament reading is Matthew twenty six, seventeen through thirty. Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30. Now, on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, You have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this 
fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now and ask him to bless it to our hearts. O Lord, our God, we pray that you would come do heart work among us. That you would not let your word rest on the surface of our lives. But that you would come and excavate our hearts and plant your word deep and water it and, and enrich it and, and, and fertilize it and cause it to grow up into fruitfulness for eternal life. Let not your word return empty. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our text this morning, which we just read together, Matthew 26, verses 17 through 30, is a warning to us of just how important it is for us to stay true to our Lord Jesus Christ. How, 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 uh, how, how urgent and important and, and, and essential it is for us to stay faithful to Christ. Um, we get this devastating picture in Judas of, of failed discipleship. Discipleship that started well and then shipwrecked. It's not the first time in the Bible we've seen it. Is it? And it's not the last, right? Scripture has, has several of these heart-wrenching accounts of people who started out with their eyes on the Lord, trusting in Him and in His Word and His promises. Saul in the Old Testament, King Saul, chosen out by, uh, by Samuel, by God, to be king over Israel, head and shoulders above all his brothers, promising beginning. But then... He doesn't repent of sin. He, 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 uh, he relies on his own strength. He doesn't trust in the Lord. He falls away, um, becomes proud and, and, and self-righteous instead of repentant. There's later on in the New Testament, we'd read about Demas, one who was a close companion of the Apostle Paul. He, he worked with Paul. He knew Paul. Paul commended him in, in several letters of, that, he, that he wrote in the New Testament. But then towards the end of Paul's ministry, Demas gave up. He, he, he threw in the towel, walked away. Paul says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Gone to Thessalonica. He's gone. He abandoned me and, by all appearances, abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's Judas, as we read here. Uh, the most infamous example of failed discipleship. Judas. What a... What a picture of this, this one who was one of the twelve disciples. What privileges he had, brothers and sisters. He was there with Christ for three years at Christ's side, hearing all the words that our Lord Jesus spoke and seeing all the wonderful things that our Lord Jesus did, seeing his grace and his love and his goodness and his wisdom and his authority and his power. And, and I think at the beginning, probably he thought he really trusted this Christ. This really was the Messiah. His hopes were high. Um, but then, here we are towards the end of the gospel. And all that 
initial love and interest in Christ is evaporated. It's gone. And instead, he's full of of hatred towards Christ. His faith has collapsed into unbelief and he's turned against, against the Lord Jesus. And as we, read, as we read last week, he decides he's going to exchange the pearl of greatest price for 30 pieces of silver and betray Jesus to his death. And so the warning for us, loved ones, is that if it can happen to one of the 12 disciples, it can happen to any one of us. Now, you may feel very firm in your faith. You may not have many doubts yourself. You may, you may feel like your, your heart is settled and, uh, and you're trusting in Christ and you feel settled in that and, and unshakable in that. But loved ones, Judas probably felt the same way at one point. So, as the Scriptures warn us, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, others of you may, may feel the conflict already. You, you, you do struggle with doubts. You, you feel the, 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 the tug, the magnetic tug sometimes of sin at your heart or the, the nagging doubts. What if it's not true? Or what if you're not in it? Uh, right? the, 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 these things, and it just feels like the bottom drops out sometimes under your faith, and it's frightening. What do, what do we do, loved ones? Because, because whether we feel like our faith or, is strong or, or, or weak, right? where do we rest it on? How do we know we're not going to end up like Judas, Saul, Demas, failed disciple? How do, how do I know? I'll, how, how, where do I find the strength and the encouragement to stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what this text is about. It comes, first of all, with this passage about Judas as this warning to us to take care, to guard our hearts, um, that, that we not fall like Judas fell. But then it also comes, loved ones, with a precious encouragement, a strong encouragement to us uh, that, that the Lord Jesus himself will give us all that we need so that we do not fall away. The passage starts um, in verse 17, right after Judas has gone to the chief priests and elders and offered to betray Jesus. And they've paid him 30 pieces of silver, and now the wheels are turning, right? Uh, uh, Here we go. Uh, Things are in action. Uh, It's Thursday of Passion Week. It's it's Thursday of of Passover week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The feast would usually begin, it always began at sundown. Um, And and at Thursday night, the Jews counted that as the, the first part of Friday. That was the first part of Passover for them. And they would all get together with their families and they would celebrate what happened so long ago in Egypt when God brought his people out uh, under Moses uh, from slavery in Egypt. And the disciples aren't with their families tonight. Um, they're with Jesus. They're with each other. This is their family. Remember, Jesus said, these are my brothers. These are my sisters. Uh, th- this, is my, this is my family. So here they are, the 12 disciples, and they're going to gather with Jesus to celebrate this this Passover meal. Now they ask Jesus, where do you want us to arrange it? Uh, What's the plan for Passover? He says, go into the city. There's a man there. You'll use one of his rooms. Either Jesus has already set this up ahead of time or by his divine knowledge of all things, he knows where exactly this is. And he sends them and they go and they, they prepare the meal. It would be a lot of work for them to prepare the meal. Think of 
Thanksgiving dinner, right? And all the work and all the preparations, right? The traditional meal that you always have, the traditional dishes you always make, and all that goes into it. That's what they're doing. They're, they're going to prepare the Passover. Uh, it's, it's mid-afternoon. The sun hasn't set yet. And what you do is you, you take your lamb and you go to the temple with your lamb and you take it to the priests. And the priests would slaughter it there. And they would pour the, the blood at the base of the altar in the temple. And then they would put the lamb, uh, they, they would take the fat portions from the lamb and burn it on the altar for burnt offerings in the temple. And then you would take the lamb from them, receive it back, and you would take it back to your home where you're going to eat your meal. And they would have herbs and greens and bread and wine, several courses here interspersed with prayers of thanksgiving and singing of Psalms 113 to 118, uh, one of which we sang earlier. So that's what the disciples do. They go, they make the preparations. Everything's ready. The sun sets and Jesus comes in, likely under cover of dark because he knows there's a price on his head. Um, and they sit down at the table. They recline around the table and, and they begin their meal. The atmosphere in the room um, is, is tense and heavy. Jesus tells us in John's Gospel, John 12, 27, we're told that he is greatly troubled in spirit. There, there, there's a sense of ominous dread. Even as they're gathering to celebrate this supper, there's a sense that something heavy is coming. And Jesus has been telling them that he's going to, to die. But then it all suddenly gets worse, unthinkably worse, in verse 21. Our Lord Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That hits them like a bombshell. They're shocked. They had no idea this was coming. And they're, 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 verse 22 says they are exceedingly sorrowful. Remember Matthew writing these words for us by the Holy Spirit. Was there? And as he's writing this, I'm sure he can remember so vividly in, in his mind that moment when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And there's Matthew sitting around the table with the others and he feels the pain that strikes his heart. One of us? They're all, they're all stunned. They all say to Jesus, surely not me, not I, Lord. And this brings us, loved ones, to the first warning the text gives us about falling away. From Jesus. And that warning is this. Listen, you can have great spiritual experiences and great spiritual gifts and great spiritual prominence. And you can be recognized by everyone around you as a great follower of Christ and still fall. That's the first warning in the text here that Jesus is betrayed by a man whom no one suspected. No one around that table said, oh, of course, we knew it was Judas all along. I always thought there was something off with Judas. And none of them had that sense. Um, he was a friend of Christ like all the others. He was their friend. They knew him and they, they thought they knew him, um, but they were deceived. Um, Jesus in verse 23 says, he was a friend, right? My betrayer is a friend, he says in verse 23. He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. All of them have been dipping their hands in the dish with Jesus, scooping out the, the food with their, their bread as they eat together. Uh, Jesus is referencing language from Psalm 41, verse 9, 
Where David says in Psalm 41, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Jesus said, it's, it's, it's someone who's eating dinner with me on Passover night, gathered together as my brother uh, who, who, who betrayed me. Um, so, so notice this. Judas has every outward appearance of being faithful to Jesus. And he has had great spiritual experiences um, he himself was with Jesus through his many miracles. He'd seen Jesus cast out demons and, and heal the sick and calm the storm. He saw all that. And, and he himself was even sent out by Jesus with the other apostles to cast out demons and heal the sick. Judas did all those things. So he's a man of spiritual experiences and gifts and, and prominence among the disciples. He's not one of the inner three, the closest to Jesus there, uh, Peter, James, and John, but he's the treasurer among the group. He's in charge of their, of, of their finances. He, he has a particular role, a prominent role among them, um, a position of leadership and trust. And so, loved ones, take the warning. Take it to heart. Don't trust in your performance as a Christian to keep you from falling away. Don't rest your heart in outward acts of obedience or in looking like a disciple to those around you. Don't think that you are not in danger of falling because of these things, because none of us is immune to sin. It's not enough to give Jesus an outward performance of good obedience. He needs our hearts. He needs our hearts all the way all the way through, we should ask with the disciples, is it I, Lord? Test my heart. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Keep me from faithlessness. That is the, that's the first warning here. The second warning from Judas, connected, connected with the first, is that Judas wouldn't give Jesus his heart because he'd already given his heart over to sin. The reason that Judas was only a disciple on the outside and not on the inside was because instead of giving his heart to Christ, he'd given his heart fully to something else. J.C. Ryle, uh, an Anglican bishop from the 19th century, often writes so, so clearly and, 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 and pointedly on the Gospels. He writes this here. He says, Judas clung to one darling sin. Judas clung to one darling sin. What was that sin? Uh, we read about it last week. As, G as Judas goes to the chief priests and elders in verse 15, what does he say? What will you give me? Th that's what his heart loves. That's what his heart's hanging on to. That's, what, that's his God. What will you give me? Money, possessions. And all that comes with it. John twelve six tells us that as the treasurer of the group, Judas had charge of the money bags, and he used to he used to steal a portion from it for himself. And whatever other reasons might have been mixed in with his, his this reason, it, it's clear that Judas loves money. How many times did Jesus warn his disciples about this very thing, and Judas didn't hear it? I mean, Jesus has said over and over these, these warnings, Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one or hate the other. 
You, you can't love God and money. Judas heard him say that. But he, didn't, he didn't hear him say that. Because now here he is, picking one over the other. Or Matthew 19, 24, where our Lord says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus warns. Judas ignores. And he clings to his darling sin. And in the end, Judas, loved ones, puts Jesus on the altar to his God money. Don't cling to your darling sins. Don't tolerate a little idolatry in your heart. Particularly the warning, watch out for the love of money. J.C. Ryle, again, he says, once let love of money get the mastery and it will harden, sear, freeze, blight, and wither our souls. It overthrew an apostle of Christ. Let us take heed it does not overthrow us. One leak may sink a ship. One unmortified sin may ruin a soul. Don't cling to your darling sins. Put them to death by the Spirit and give your heart wholly over to Christ. That's the second warning. The third warning. If, if we fall away from Christ, it's all our own fault. That's the third warning. If we fall away from Christ, it's all our own It's all our own fault. Listen to what our Lord says in verse 24. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. What is Jesus doing there? He's holding together two things that we often don't think go together, that don't make sense to us. He's saying, it was ordained by God, it was written that this would happen. Sovereign decree of God from before all time that Judas Iscariot would betray me. So Jesus says, true. God is sovereign over this act of betrayal. And at the same time, he says, it's Judas's own responsibility that this is happening. He's the one who, who, is, who is guilty for it. No one is forcing Judas to do this sin. Yes, it's according to the providence and decree of God, but Judas himself is choosing this. He's not a helpless victim to temptation. He himself is running straight forward into it. Um, sometimes, loved ones, when we struggle with doubt, we can start to think, it's something that's happening to me. That, 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 that it's not really something I'm doing. It's something that's, that's coming in from the outside and, and, and happening to me. This can happen sometimes when you go through a, a painful experience of, of suffering. Um, and we can start to question God. And it feels like, well, well th- this, this doubt is here in my heart because, because I went through this hard thing. Well, loved ones, um, uh, God, 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 God's love is still the same as it was before. Um, or maybe we, we feel nagged by unbelief, questioning, questioning God and questioning His Word, and we feel like we can't help it. But it's not, again, it's not something that just happens to us. It's rooted in our hearts that don't want to submit to Christ. And it's something we need to repent of. And so when we feel doubt and unbelief rising up in our hearts, what should we do? Well, as the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9.24 says, we should go to Jesus and we should say, I believe. Help my unbelief. Um, Lord, Lord, I confess to you my doubt. 
And I confess to you my unbelief. And I confess my attraction to doubt and unbelief. Please be at work in my heart. Take it. Seal it. All for you. That's the third warning. Fourth is that it's better not to be than to be without Jesus. Verse 24. Jesus says, It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. What a terrible thing for a creator to say about one of his creatures. What a, what a, what a, what a devastating thing for Jesus to say about one of his own disciples. These may be perhaps the worst possible words you could hear our Lord Jesus say to you. It would have been better if you never existed than if you'd done what you've done in rejecting me and falling away from me. Uh, loved ones, take the warning to heart. Take the warning to heart that you not wander, not, not, not stray from the Lord Jesus Christ, but hold fast to Him. Listen to His Word and humble yourself and cry out for His mercy in the face of these warnings. All right. Maybe you're saying at this point, all right, Pastor, uh, we're getting into this now. Um, warning after warning, I get it. Um, I see what happened to Judas. I see my own heart, and, and my own heart is prone to wander. I know it's prone to that, and I'm scared. I'm anxious that I will fall, that I will fall away. Maybe I don't know if I have the stamina. So what do I do? We need more than a warning, don't we? We need, we need encouragement. And that's what we go on to see uh, here. We, we see the grace of God, the effective and powerful grace of God, loved ones, that is so much stronger than our wandering hearts. We see that it is Christ who keeps our hearts faithful. So let's turn now and look at the next section of the text, uh, the Lord's Supper, the institution of the Lord's Supper in verses 26 through, through 30. How do we stay faithful and persevere in what our Lord Jesus has called us to. Um, Christ gives us four encouragements here from the Lord's Supper. Uh, let's look at these together. First of all, in the Lord's Supper, our Lord Jesus gives us a meal of inauguration. Inauguration, that's, that's the first word to latch on to. What's an inauguration? We probably think of the president being... You start starting a new term. Um, uh, th that, that's an inauguration. It's the official start of something new. Um, the Lord's Supper is an inauguration. What Jesus is doing here in, in, in this section of the text, verses 26 through 30, he's inaugurating something new. And he's inaugurating the new covenant. Um, as, as Jesus describes what's going on here for us, loved ones, in the supper. As he speaks to us about the supper, we should have in our mind the Passover and the tradition that surrounded it uh, for, for the Jews. Traditionally, during the meal, um, a boy in the family would, would always say at one point in the meal, Daddy, what does this all mean? We're eating the bread, we're drinking the cup, we're, we, we, we did the lamb at the temple. What is, what's it all about? And the father would say, well, it's about, it's about this. It's about how the Lord brought us out of Egypt uh, with a strong and mighty arm and, and redeemed us. Um, back, back in Exodus 12, as the people of Israel are getting ready to go out, as God starts the first Passover, he said, I'm doing this so that when your children ask in the years to come, why are we doing this? You'll tell them the story of salvation again. 
And, and so that was the tradition that they would have. Uh, why are we doing this? And Jesus would give the explanation. Now, it may be that this has already happened at some point in the meal, that the disciples, one of them has already asked the question, and Jesus has given the answer, pointing them back to Egypt and the Exodus. But, but I think, loved ones, as we see the emphasis here, is that Jesus is saying, no, we're not going to look back to the Exodus anymore to see what the Passover is about. You're going to look here to me, to the Lord Jesus, to see what the Passover is about. I'm, I'm bringing the new covenant, and, and all that the Passover was was pointing to this. Um, the Passover was always intended to show Israel that God was the one who was their Savior, and that, that it was pointing forward to a day when God would, would save them in an even fuller and bigger and, and, and mightier way. And to the new covenant. The old covenant was always pointing forward to the new covenant. We read about this promise. Jeremiah 31 earlier, where our Lord says, Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant. And in that new covenant, God promises to make his people faithful. In a way they never could be in the old. And so we ask, Lord, how do I stay faithful to you? And he says, I'm making a new covenant. And I'm going to write my law, not on tablets of stone and, and put it in the Ark of the Covenant, as we did under Moses. But I'm going to write my law in your heart. I'm going to, I'm going to give the knowledge of God to your, to your heart. I'm going, to, I'm going to inscribe it in permanent letters on your soul. That's what is happening as Jesus is inaugurating the new, the new covenant. He gives us this wonderful blessing, loved ones, that, that the Holy Spirit himself comes to us and he writes God's covenant right on our hearts. And, and so, if that has happened, can we wander from him? Can we finally fall away from Christ if his spirit has come and inscribed his covenant right on our hearts? No, we, we, we can't. Not even, not even our own faithlessness can be final if that's true. He gives us this new covenant. He makes this new covenant. He says, I am yours and you are mine. And that is an inseparable bond. So, the Lord's Supper, a meal of inauguration. And it's that writing of the new covenant on our hearts that enables us to stay faithful. With second encouragement, though, the second encouragement that our Lord Jesus gives us in this supper is that it's a meal of participation. So we saw inauguration, now it's a meal of, of participation. Listen to Christ's words, loved ones. He gives the bread and he says to his disciples, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he gives the wine and he says, Drink, this is my blood. He doesn't mean, of course, and they would never understand him to mean that his, the bread he gave them, the wine he gave them, was literally transformed into his body. Because they could see his body right there in front of them. They would understand that this is figurative language. So what does it mean? What is he saying by saying, take, eat, this is my body, drink, this is my blood? It means that, that, that even though outwardly they're, they're eating, bread and, and outwardly drinking wine that's just wine. Inwardly, they're, 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 they're eating and drinking Christ himself. 
And, and when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're doing the very same thing. When we come with our eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ, we're feeding on Him in our hearts by faith. And we, we, as, we, as we drink the cup, we're, we're drinking in the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Not, 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 his, not his blood physically, right, in the, in, the, in the wine, but himself and all that he is coming into us and, and, and uniting himself with us as our Savior forever. Um, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10.16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, the Lord's Supper, he says, is it not... A participation in the blood of Christ? The cup, the, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? As you, as you come in faith to Christ, your soul is sealed to his soul, and all his blessings become yours. So, the point. What's, what's the point? What's, what's the encouragement for us? To keep us from faltering in faith and falling away. Um, if you're feeding on Christ, if you've tasted Him and, and, and if you've been united with Him in faith, then you cannot fall away. You're, you're, you're kept with an ironclad and unbreakable union with the Lord Jesus Christ. If He Himself is, is, is at work in you and living in you, you might be daunted by fear and nagged by temptation and doubt, but you're not going to fully, finally fall away because Christ himself has sealed you with his own body and blood and you're his and nothing can break that relationship. And so we say, Lord, I don't want to fall away. So give me yourself. Feed me with yourself so that my heart is always yours. So the Lord's Supper, a meal of inauguration, a meal of participation, third, our Lord Jesus gives us the supper as a meal of propitiation. Propitiation. Uh, Jesus says his body is like bread. He breaks the bread. It's a, it's a violent image uh, of, of his body being broken. Then he, he gives the, the cup and he says, uh, th- th- this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many. Uh, Jesus is alluding to... Um, Exodus 24.8, where the people have come out of Egypt and they're at Mount Sinai and God is making this covenant with them and Moses slaughters some bulls and he takes the blood from the bulls and he sprinkles it on the people and he, and he says, this is the blood of the covenant. And now Jesus is saying, those bulls did nothing except point to me. I'm the bull slaughtered and my blood sprinkled on you for this covenant of forgiveness. And, and, and as he talks about his blood being poured out, the disciples earlier in the day, they probably went to the temple, had their lamb sacrificed, and, and literally saw its blood poured on the base of the altar in the temple. And, and not just their lamb that they brought, but the family in the room next door and the one next door. How many of these Jews gathering to... All, all, all the blood of the lambs poured out on the altar, just soaking with blood. Um, why, all, why all the blood? Why is Jesus saying, I'm, I'm the Passover lamb slaughtered and blood poured out? Why this graphic and 
gruesome picture. Um, the, the lesson is that the, the forgiveness of sins can only come through a sacrifice for sins. That God in His holiness and His justice and His righteousness cannot simply brush sin under a rug and ignore it and pretend it never happened. We have no place in His holy presence if there is any sin at all in us. We, we cannot approach Him. The whole purpose of the covenant is that God would marry His people, but there is no relationship if there is any sin in His people at all. There cannot be. But God doesn't just scrap it. He says, no, I'm making a covenant in blood. What's the price for sin? The price is death. And who has to pay it? It's a man who sinned. It's men who've sinned. It needs to be not the sin of a bull or a lamb, but the sin of a righteous, innocent, holy man. The only one, of course, who is that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes to the cross. Jesus, Jesus goes to the cross to be slaughtered like those bulls and like those lambs to be slaughtered and his blood to be shed to take the wrath of God so that we can have that covenant with, 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 our, with our Lord. Apart from this sacrifice, we are all Judases and have no place in the covenant of grace and no hope for anything but the wrath of God. But because our Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life as our Lamb, then we have every hope and every confidence of sweet and blessed fellowship with Him forever. So Jesus is saying, if I, if I sprinkle you with my blood, you are clean. You, you are clean forever and you are mine forever. The, the encouragement here is, loved ones, don't, don't fall away. Why would you walk away from Love like that and a, and a sacrifice like that and, and a holiness like that given to you because of Christ. And not only is it encouragement not to walk away, but it is the, the precious truth that, that, that sin has no sway over you anymore. Um, the, the Lord has made this covenant with you. He's bought you with the blood of Christ. And if He's bought you, He's not going to return you. His, the, the payment our Lord Jesus has made is not a payment that gets declined. He's purchased you. And it's effective. And you're His. So, so take the encouragement that if you're His, you will not and you cannot fall away. So, the Lord's Supper. Meal of inauguration, participation, and propitiation. And now the fourth and final thing. A meal of anticipation. Listen to Christ's words. Verse 29. He says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It's a wonderful note of hope. Christ has been speaking of His death. He's been pointing to, 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 to His death and His being slaughtered as the sacrifice for our sins to make this covenant. But now He's saying there's something beyond it. There's life and fellowship with me. There's a, there's a wedding banquet coming beyond this. The kingdom 
has been inaugurated, but Jesus is looking to the future and he's saying, I am going to come in all my glory and bring the kingdom of heaven and I will spread a feast for you and I'm going to wait until all my people are gathered to me there and, and then and then we'll eat. A wedding I was at last spring, the guests all waited outside the, the, the banquet hall. Inside, they were finishing up preparations. The, the bride and groom and the wedding party were still doing pictures. So we're all waiting outside the doors to go into the feast that's been prepared for us. What, what, what do the bride and groom provide for us as we wait outside those doors? Well, there's, there's hors d'oeuvres. There, 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 there's a taste of what's coming to nourish you because it might be a while while they do the pictures. Um, so we're, we're out there, we're fellowshipping, we're, we're tasting a little bit of what's to come, and we're strengthened while we wait. And that's what the Lord has given this supper to us. He's saying, you will stay faithful because I've given you a taste of what's coming, a promise of what's coming, and I, and I myself am waiting for you to, 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 to come. Um, one of the old Latin names for the sacrament of the supper is the viaticum. Um, which literally means something like provision for a journey, way, way bread, um, something you eat to sustain you on your road. It was something the Romans used to refer to supplies for a trip that they had to make. Uh, and the church picked this up as, as a word to use for the supper, for the Lord's Supper. It, it, it's way bread. It's journey bread. Supplies for the trip. Home, heavenward. We are on our way to the banquet. What will make us faithful Jesus says, I've given you something where you can keep feeding on me and feeding on me and tasting me and knowing my goodness and knowing my love and remembering what I did and knowing with all confidence what I'm coming to do. So keep on eating. Keep on, keep on trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, um, loved ones, he is the only one who can make us faithful. We, we cannot guard our hearts and keep ourselves faithful. Uh, w- without Christ, we are all going to end up like failed disciples. Um, but, but, but with Him, with Him, we cannot fall. So loved ones, hold, hold fast to Him. He has made this covenant. He's paid for this covenant. He's guaranteed this covenant. It's all on Him. Our task is to keep looking at Him. Let's pray. Lord, hold us fast, that we might hold you fast. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.